Good morning. How is everybody doing? Good. Woohoo. Tired. Some of you yawning a little bit. It's okay. I have a little tea hangover. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, hey, just in case anyone is visiting us today or, or you haven't heard this part about what we do with the first songs, what do we sing this morning? Hit the road, Jack. Come on. No more, no more, no more, no more. Okay. Yeah, well, then stop. Okay. <laughs> now you keep going. Um, but what we do sometimes, uh, what we do actually every Sunday, and this is why, you know, it's so important for you to be in here on time and early, because sometimes you miss some of the best songs. I mean, the rest of it is great, too, but the band really um, invests in the first song because we believe here at New Song that, you know, uh, the non, the secular meets the, what do we call it? Secular meets the sacred. Thank you. I was going to, I was trying to say Christian, non Christian. That didn't sound right. So say, secular meets the sacred all the time. Amen. Amen. And sometimes, sometimes we have songs that are in the secular that, you know, for sure express what it is we're feeling inside a little bit maybe better than what we could ever sing. On Easter, do you remember what we sang? Don't stop believing. Come on. No one wants to sing it because it's too high. Well, we sang Don't Stop Believing from Journey because that's, you know, that's on Easter. Don't stop believing. Hold on. We've sung Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer in here. So... Anyway, just in case you were wondering what the heck was going on this morning right before service, and then it's because it's all, it's all together. It's all together. So uh, make sure you're here on time and in the building bright and early so that you can hear these songs. Um, so I'm, my name is Melody, by the way, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I take way too much time when I'm up here talking about announcements, but oh well, where are you going? You have to stay till the end. Um, so, uh, yesterday, yesterday we had a spectacular women's team. I got a couple of pictures of there to show you. Look at that. Look at that. It was ridiculous. And when I say ridiculous, I mean that. Look at that little ladies table. That was the cutest thing ever. They were like experimenting with concoctions of different types of tea, whatever. They were in charge of their own table. We had so much food. Oh, we had Ted Lasso biscuits. Someone baked Ted Lasso biscuits. What else did we have? Look at those, those little wonderful little tea sandwiches. It was ridiculous. We had 132 ladies in here. Yeah. And this was probably my favorite part. It last, if you were here last year, we only took apart these two sections, but we took down the whole dang sanctuary in here because we had that many ladies coming. And this part here in the end, I talked about, hey, listen, you know, just as these teacups are so different, we all have different stories. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different whatever. But the thing we have in common is that we have this desire that we were made with. We have this thing inside of us that desires community, that not only desires it, but needs it. We need to have each other's back. We need to be there for each other. 
And so I said, you can't come home with the teacups because those belong to various people. But what I can send you home with is this little lantern that had a little light. And I said, you can take this home and light it tonight and see that you have a community around you, whether you came with a neighbor who you don't even know, which Susan brought. She brought a neighbor. She's like, come. Uh, or if it's a friend or you were dragged here, whatever. But we all have a community. And I had us all hold up our little lights, and it was a spectacular view in here. And these flowers were also just part of the thing. We thought we'd decorate it a little bit today. Um, but it was spectacular. So thank you to the women's team, to everyone who came, and you guys who pulled down chairs yesterday. It was spectacular. So. <clears throat> Until next year, huh? Yeah? Um, okay, so a couple of things that everybody needs to know in here is that next... Uh, this next week, starting tomorrow, these chairs are going to come down for a different reason, but we don't have to take them down. They'll be taken down by someone else this time. Um, for the next two weeks, uh, during the school week, we are going to have kids in here from Sandy Miss High School doing their testing. It's the end of the year. They're going to be doing lots and lots of testing from like 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. It is all day long. And so we would love to just, as a community, be praying for these children, for the test administrators, for everyone involved in that, because it's a stressful time. It's a stressful time for everybody. So just, um, and if you come on campus for whatever reason looking for people and it says, shh, quiet, it's because there's testing going on. So, um, but just be in prayer for the kids who are in here for the next two weeks and for our continued connection to Sandy Miss High School, which is golden. So um, another thing that you may have noticed as you drove in today is the vertical gardening that is happening in the garden. Who noticed as you drove in? Yeah, right? It doesn't look beautiful. I love it. Rana Miles era spent countless hours in that garden last week, right? And I know there's lots and lots and lots of people involved in that, but man, it was hot one of those days, and I was like, Rana, please go home, it's so hot. Um, but there's vertical gardening happening, and um, I encourage you, I saw some people walk down there yesterday before the tea. If you haven't been down there in a while, get down there. It is Spring has sprung there for sure, and it is just a sight to see. It is beautiful there. So keep praying for the garden. It's also an outreach to um, our community. Last Garden Workday, there was two women who came, correct, and just jumped in and helped from the community, and that's the point. Yes, that's the point. That's what I said yesterday also at the tea. I said, hey, we are a community church here. And if you don't know what that means, a community church means, hey, if we went missing tomorrow, we want our community to feel our absence. We want our community to feel our absence. And I think, I think we're at the point where we could say they would feel our absence. They would because the garden would be gone. The pantry would be gone. The coffee every Thursday would be gone. Like, I think... When, when that goal was set forth, I think right when you guys started, when that goal was set forth, I think we're, 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 we're there now. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, amen to that. So um, something that we will go into further when that happens um, is the member meeting, which is on May 21st. May 21st, there is going to be a member meeting in here. And if you're not a member, you're invited to come. 
Um, and there's lunch, and there's, there's lunch. No? Maybe not. No lunch. Forget that. Bring your own lunch. Um, but there is, uh, I don't know anything about it. Actually, I'm totally screwing it up. So more details to follow. Um, but I do know that it is Sunday, May 21st, right after service. So that is a time where we get to talk a little bit more in depth about all the ways some of these things are coming full circle. So please mark that day in your calendar. That's the day we talk a little bit about budget, too, and a little bit about different ministries and whatnot. So mark that day. And another thing, lastly, that is hugely important that, you know, is something we have to mention uh, because this is the way we do these things, is by your partnership in your giving, whether that's online, in person, in the little uh, brown box right outside. This is, I t we, Grant and I were having a conversation this week, and I told him, you know, I had this, like, strange vision come to me that, like, you know, this week uh, at the pantry on Thursday night, Rana met uh, a couple that is homeless, and she said, hey, why don't you come to the pantry this afternoon? And they came. And then later on that day, I had a, a something else happen, something else happened, and I was like, man, like, this is, this is church. This is a community church. And, you know, um, unfortunately, <laughs> sometimes we do rely on the money to keep these things going, you know? We, we have to, because we're not funded any other way. Whatever is given here is what we have. And so just knowing that we're so, you know, getting a little bit further and further behind than giving, you know, I want to say to, I said to Grant today, like, let's just, let's just go forth as if we had all the money, as if we weren't behind, but, um, and just pray that the Lord would provide. So uh, I will pray for that today, that the Lord continue to provide for us, that uh, giving just magically, you know, resolves the big hole we have right now, but that I, I truly believe in the mission and vision of this church. Do you? Amen. Amen. And that's why we're here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that um, it is a beautiful day. Thank you for all the ways, oh, that things have come full circle, God, and I know that not everyone here knows all the stories and all the things, but God, you know everything. You see all the things, God. And God, thank you for just your blessing as we do all the things in one week, the, the vertical gardening, the pantry distribution, the women's tea, all the beautiful things that happen. Lord, thank you for giving us a time and a space to do things for your glory and your honor. And Lord, as we continue to do that, as we continue to serve, as we continue to give, as we continue to, to press on, Lord, Lord, would you fill our hearts with joy? Would you fill our hearts with just, ah, just confirmation, God, that we are exactly where we're supposed to be? Lord Jesus, I pray for Grant this morning as he uh, brings the message to us. Thank you for our lead pastor, Lord. Would you bless him and keep him? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Grant. Melody. That's a pretty good accent you did there. Just roll those R's. Grant. Good morning, everybody. I loved the tea yesterday. I was in disguise. I had a veil, some really dark sunglasses. It's a good time. Did you not notice me? Over in the corner. I wish. Um, 
So we're going to just get right into the sermon this morning. Uh, we're in the book of Hebrews. We've been here for a little while in a, in a series called Pressing On. Um, I think it's pretty um, appropriate for the, just the time we're in when, you know, kind of coming out of a lot of chaotic situations, but the world's still the world, and our deepest need is to be, become more and more acquainted with the person of Jesus, um, who he is, not just who he was, but who he is today. So we're going to go right in with uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. The words will, uh, will be on the screen, but you could follow along in your Bible or your phone, whatever you want to do. Um, and yeah, here we go. Chapter 5, 1 to 10. Last week, we were introduced to this concept of Jesus as great high priest. And this week, the writer continues to kind of um, expand on what that might mean. Let's read together. I'll, I'll, I'll read. You don't need to read. <laughs> Maybe we should. No, let's not do that. I've got a tea hangover, too. <laughs> coffee. Too much coffee this morning. Okay, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Okay, and thus, the reason for the title of this morning's message, Melchizedek what? Right? Melchizedek what? This is this kind of a complex passage. Uh, you know, I really was so glad when I, when I looked at the schedule. I was, oh, yeah, I'm doing this one. Brilliant. Um, I actually remember when I was in uh, high school science classes, physics and chemistry, biology, and I wasn't really a much of a fan of science. I loved the beauty. I still love the beauty and the mystery and the wonder and the power of the natural world. I just didn't like breaking it down into its constituent parts and all the theory and the science and the math and that. Like in English literature, Sometimes it seemed to spoil an adventure in a wonderful book when we sentence diagrammed and parsed all the verbs. It sort of made it somehow less enjoyable. But our science teacher, every now and then, one of my science teachers would say to the class to try and encourage us, I know this is not very much fun for you, uh, but this is not the good stuff. This is just some basic stuff. Just wait till you study science at university, uh, more advanced science. It's going to be amazing. It's so wonderful. Well, sadly, I never experienced that. I just got the boring foundational parts. But the book of Hebrews that we're studying is like this. It's not an easy read. Today's passage is, is kind of like jumping into graduate school of theology and the Bible in some ways, um, but without the fundamental education that you, you were meant to get beforehand. There's a lot of stuff in here about the Old Testament, about priests. Um, but in terms of life-changing, awe-inspiring, wonderful truth. It is worth every effort to try and dig in here. 
And the writer, it seems, because he's writing to his friends, he's concerned about them. We've said that they're getting weary. They're feeling like quitting this whole Jesus thing for, for whatever reason. We don't know exactly what the reasons are. It may be some persecution. It may be uh, just simply the issues of life uh, and temptation to drift back to what the things that they had been involved in before. But he really cares about them. Uh, and it seems he believes it's worth it to try and give this depth of knowledge and that he's confident that his first readers and therefore us, we who hear now, should be able to hear and understand and be transformed in our lives by these truths. He talks about the Word of God. We Just a couple of weeks ago, Melody shared the passage, the Word of God is alive and active. This is not simply like a science textbook. This is the living Word of God. And secondly, he says later, the Holy Spirit testifies to us There's something mysterious and supernatural and wonderful happening that these are the words of life and it is well worth paying attention to them. Earlier, he wrote this. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So that's how we're gonna begin. We've read the text. We've said, oh my goodness, what is this about? We have recognized that God has given us this word. Someone once said, when you read the Bible, you're not reading somebody else's mail. It is for us. So now we're going to pray. We're going to pray, and then we're going to open up this word. Oh, Lord, uh, open our eyes. We want to see Jesus. We want to know all that is knowable about him, about you, about your love for us, about the uh, incredible good news that we were not left helpless in our broken situation and condition, but you stepped into our lives concretely and you have done all necessary that we can be your children, your people, a family, a community, a growing new creation in you. We come humbly asking, Lord, that you would teach us, show us, open our eyes, our hearts, our minds to yourself, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this message, this text is all about superlatives, the hugeness of this event in Jesus. What has happened because of Jesus is unrepeatable, unparalleled, unstoppable, unfathomable, but the writer of Hebrews is going to try his best to tell us about it. The first thing that is superlative is this, that Jesus was supremely appointed, supremely appointed, unrepeatable, unparalleled, unstoppable, unfathomable, supremely appointed. In the past, we already heard this, the beginning of Hebrews starts like this, in the past God spoke to our ancestors, through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom God appointed heir of all things. It does not get larger, greater than this. So the writer tells us in chapter five, no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, and this is a quote from the Old Testament in the Psalms, 
These words, these truths echo all the way through the scriptures of the people of God. And this writer picks it up again and says, remember in the Psalms when David wrote these words that were obscure to us in that day? I'm telling you what they mean now. God said to him, you are my son. Today I become your father. So God the Son appointed by God the Father in the power of God the Spirit. This is so foundational. This is the most foundational real thing that's ever happened. The bedrock of all that exists, the sustainer of all things, is at the center of this great appointment of one who would come. First thing, supremely appointed. There is no greater appointment and no greater appointee than this. Second thing, supremely anointed. The word Christ means anointed one. When we say Jesus Christ, it means Jesus That's his name, which also means save us, to to be a savior, Christ, the anointed one. So he talks in verse six, he says this, and he says in another place, again, a quote from a psalm, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The heck. It is a weird word, Melchizedek. And it's a very, this is important. We don't always understand the Bible, nor are we able to, there's a saying, uh, G.K. Chesterton once said, it's enough to get your head into heaven without trying to get heaven into your head, because it'll blow up, right? There's mystery in this, but he tells us what we need to know. In chapter 7, he's going to explain more clearly what this Melchizedek thing is, so you've got so much excitement until we get to that week, right? Mel's going to preach that one. I'm going to give you sure she has that one. But this, this Melchizedek person, he, he mentions twice That means it's important. Twice, he quotes from the psalm, and then at the end in verse 10, says, designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is not a throwaway word, throwaway concept, throwaway character, but it's a very obscure character. This Melchizedek person appears in Genesis chapter 14, way at the beginning of the scriptures, and Abram, not yet called Abraham, was having some problems, and the king of Sodom has been causing him some problems, And he goes and they have this war and he defeats them. And here's what it says in in, uh, chapter 14. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high and he blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth and blessed be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tithe of everything. There's a lot of content in there. Bread and wine, there's something about that, this, this king of Salem, and it's a very mysterious person. Sam, the psalmist picks it up, the one that's quoted here, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Once again, in the Psalms, they probably didn't really know what that was about, but there's something in the word that is now fulfilled in Christ. So here's what, it, I'll just give a brief little idea about priesthoods. Priests were chosen by God, called by God to serve the people to offer sacrifices and carry out their priestly duties. And Aaron was a priest, and there were several lines of priestly lines, and and they would have these tasks, and they would be appointed for a season. In the time of Jesus, there was the high priest, and they had a a rotation of, of different high priests through the time. But they were all human, mortal, appointed for a season, either by their death or by the appointment of a new high priest, that priesthood ended. This Melchizedek one is completely different. There is no other priest of Melchizedek except this mysterious character who brings bread and wine and to whom Abram tithes offerings. This is a supremely anointed priesthood forever. 
Singularly, only in Christ, he is this new high priest, never before and never will be again. Okay, the third superlative is that the writer tells us that Jesus is supremely saving. I was going to use the word salvific. That's a real word, but it's kind of one of those words, you know, you go like, well done, Grant, showing off again with your, with your fancy words. It works, supremely saving. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. This word source, what does it make you think of? Does it make you think of a river or some source in the stream? It, it just, this is where all of the goodness and the fertility of the plains and the forests comes from, this source. Also, the word can be translated as author. Elsewhere in Scripture, uh, Paul says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. And, and, but this, this word means he's the originator, the provider, the creator of it, the guarantor, the one in whom salvation lives. Peter says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Supremely saving, only in Christ. But not, that always sounds minimizing. In Christ is all the fullness of salvation. What does salvation mean? What do we commonly think of? Well, the first thing we possibly think of is forgiveness for sin. That salvation means that we can be forgiven. And that's true. That is all within this salvation that has been given. There's no more need for sacrifices. No more need for priests to perform saving work on our behalf. We no longer need a mediating priest or person between us and God. Christ takes that place perfectly. And our sin has been completely and utterly forgiven. If there was a chance that my sin would remove me from this salvation, then this is not the salvation that we're talking about. I am saved by him, forgiven. All of my guilt and my shame has been washed and wiped away, and I am pure before him now. The second part of salvation is this, reconciliation with other people. It's why we talk about community so much, because we talk about this all the time in the church sometimes, and we forget to talk about this. And this needs this. They're both intrinsic to salvation reconciled to one another. There's now no reason for you and I to be estranged from one another or to have disunity. We can have peace with one another. And in the source of salvation is all the fullness of all the tool and equipping that we need to be a community. And that's what he's doing next. He's building a new community. Salvation saves us into a community. God is building his kingdom and the material for the kingdom is you and me. All of our odd shapes and sizes, I wonder how he fits us all together. I'm not just talking about physical, I'm talking about our weird personalities and our quirks and our, you know, whatever, the good days, the bad days. He's bringing it all together to love and serve and worship and pray and share life together richly and generously in this diversity, in unity, in Christ, the source who draws us into a new way of being human with other people. So, forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with others, reconciliation with God, I missed one out. Last week we talked about this concept that because of Jesus, we can approach confidently God and find grace and mercy in our times of need. No longer like the story of Adam and Eve where 
God's saying, where are you? He says, we, we, did, we did wrong and we're hiding. We're hiding from each other. We're hiding from you. And that's been the human condition ever since, that we hide from God. We feel guilty and we hide from one another. He has reconciled us to himself. A new community and a bright future. A bright future. You know what we most need is hope, right? Hope. Do you ever feel hopeless when you spend too much time on the, on the, watching the news or reading the paper or just you got a little bit quiet time and you start thinking too much about all the chaos in the world, you know? This morning, I felt pretty anxious, actually. And I was walking around. It's like, duh, pray, Grant, pray. I'm going to stand up here and preach about hope. And I'm feeling like anxious. And it dispelled my anxiety. I said, Lord Jesus, you know me, who I am. I don't, I, I don't have much, but fill me with your spirit. Give me the confidence and the love for you and the people to be present fully today in your power. Thank you for loving me. And it changed my whole perspective. A bright future. Death, and we've seen a lot of it recently, haven't we? It no longer has any ultimate power over God's people. Death has lost its sting. The thief that robs and plundered has been imprisoned. The darkness that overwhelms has been dispelled by the light of Christ. The book that was going to have a sad final chapter will continue to be written by the author of life. All of nature that now sings in a very sad key will one day break out into hallelujahs. And the grief that we feel at the loss of a loved one will turn to joy. Suffering is only temporary. <laughs> Suffering is only temporary. This is really important to know. Just as happiness in this life is, has a limit, there's no real, realistic expectation, even though advertisers tell us there is, of unending, progressively growing happiness all the time. But the good news is, it's also true with suffering. Suffering has its limits. There are limits to suffering. And one day, there will be nothing but hope. And if you think about it, if you think that the scale, the size of Christ's presence and power and love and work, despair is, is minuscule in this creation compared to the hope that we have in him. So this is good news. This is good news. But the writer doesn't want us to simply nod our heads and speak an amen at the gift of salvation. He wants us to look intently into the great sacrifice that Christ made for us, the colossal work that Christ has done. He was supremely appointed, supremely anointed, supremely saving. But there's one more important thing, supremely perfected. Hebrews chapter 5, 7 to 9, says 2, doesn't it? Sorry about that. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. There's kind of words about something had happened. He learned obedience. He became the source. He was made perfect. But wasn't Jesus always perfect? The sinless Son of God. Well, here's, the, here's what this is about. It's not about moral perfection. Yes, he was 
perfect in that even though tempted in every way like we are, he did not sin. He held the line to the end, faithful. But it's what makes him qualified to be our high priest. It's about perfection and his qualification to stand in that place on our behalf. So at the beginning of this little passage, the writer began by talking about the qualifications for an earthly high priest as in the Old Testament. So basically the writer's saying, and Jesus fulfills all of these perfectly in a sublimely supreme way. So we're going to look at this. This is uh, the passage. Here are the qualifications that the writer wants us to know that Jesus fulfilled all of these. The first, every high priest is selected from among the people, is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, offer gifts and sacrifices. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the sins of the people. So first thing, selected from among the people. That is the point of the incarnation, that, that God has come and being one of us taking on himself the sins of the human race as our representative. So he became fully human. The second one, appointed to represent the people in matters of God. That's what Jesus is. And is there any matter in our, all of our experience of life that has not got anything to do with God? There is nothing out with his representation, his presence, his priestly role in our lives, everything. It says he offered gifts and sacrifices for sins. There's an interesting parallel between the first section which talks about the qualifications for a priest, which are that they would offer gifts and sacrifices for sin, and this latter part which says that Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. This is a beautiful picture of a priest not just crying out for his own self, but crying out on behalf of all of us. That is his offering, his tears, his passion, his compassion on behalf of us. This is his priestly offering on behalf of all of us. For every person that cries, Christ weeps with them. Able to deal gently with ignorant or straying ones. That's something we don't think about much, maybe about the priests of the Old Testament, but they were supposed to be pastoral also. The fact that they would come and make atonement by sacrifice for the sins of the people meant that they had heard these sins shared with them. They became one in that story and that knowledge of that brokenness, and then they stood and representative for the people to offer sacrifices to God. Jesus is our shepherd. He is our pastor. He is completely qualified to deal gently with ignorant or straying ones. Aren't you glad about that? Which one of us is not at times ignorant and which one of us at times is not straying? You know that old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We may love God, but we are wanderers. We don't have a perfect track record. And this tells us that this is not a stern, judgmental high priest always looking and dissecting and judging all of our little mistakes, but is able to deal gently with us just as we are. It says, why? Because subject to weakness. Well, in the terms of an Old Testament high priest, of course they were. They were mortal. They were human. What about Jesus? Is it helpful to think about Jesus' weakness? One of my favorite songs is by a band called The Brilliance, and it's called Yahweh. And one of the, the lines that just struck me when I heard it was, Jesus, come in your weakness. Bring hope to all the world. 
And I'd never heard anyone say that before. It's usually come in your strength, you know. Jesus experienced weakness, hunger, sorrow, tears in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was betrayed, saying, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not as my will, but yours be done, Lord. And on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows weakness. Therefore, he understands our weakness. Then lastly, this one's weird because it says the high priest, of course, had to first make offering for his own sins, which is what they did in the Old Testament. High priest, before he offered sins for the people, would offer sacrifice for his own sins. Well, Jesus was sinless. So how does that fit? Well, the stunning, shocking, horrifying, but redemptive truth is that he took upon himself all of our sin. John says, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Understanding that should bring me to my knees, that Jesus, God himself, would take all of the rotten, evil, despicable, cruel, broken, horrifying sin of the human race and willingly take it as if it was his own and offer up his life in payment of that debt. That is unspeakable. Because I know my wrongdoing in my life and he took it all upon himself. For God so loved Grant, Tara, Bill, put your name in there, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Salvation, reconciliation with God, reconciliation with ourselves and with other people, and a new community, a new purpose, new life, transformation, grace, mercy, forgiveness. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, hallelujah, but to save the world through him. I invite the band up as we think about one more thing in this passage, and it's a bit challenging. Again, Hebrews is not easy. He says this, he became the source of eternal salvation for whom? For all who obey him. Does that just negate so much of what I've been saying when I recognize that my obedience is not perfect? What does it mean that this salvation is for those who obey him? Well, as is often the case, the Bible is the best thing to use to interpret the Bible. So if you look through Hebrews and look for the concept of obedience, this word only occurs one other time in Hebrews about obedience. Well, it occurs saying Jesus obeyed. He, was, he learned obedience through what he suffered. But the other one about a human being is this. In chapter 11, verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. Not knowing where he was going. And I think this is so illustrative of this concept. It's simply, obedience is simply recognizing what this means, that the Spirit reveals to us that this is true, that this is 
life-changing, that this is desirable. And like Abraham, we simply say yes. And I don't know where I'm going. And I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what it's going to cost me. I'm not going to start tallying lists of things I think I have to give up if I do this now, because that will stop you right there and then, because I did that millions of times. I'm going to have to be a boring, Bible-thumping killjoy who annoys all his friends, harping on and on and on about God. Am I that? (laughs) No, no, no. They're simply saying, I'm going to come. Christ has done everything. He is supremely appointed, supremely anointed, supremely saving, and he was supremely perfected for the purpose of doing it all for us. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. As we said before, what makes a gift a gift? When it is received by the one to whom it is offered. That's what we're doing. That's what we're here for. And that's, that's a moment and then It's also a moment after moment after moment, and he will be sufficient for you. He will show you where you go, what to change, what to take up, what to put down. He will show you, and he will answer your prayers. You ask him, he will answer. So we're going to take communion now as a means of responding. And as we said, I think many times, This may be for you just a practical act of saying yes. We sung a song earlier about the table. I'm invited to the table of the Lord. And he says, come just as you are to his table. This is disobedience. There's a couple of things the church does. One is baptism and one is communion. And we think these are really important ways of possessing this stepping up, and it's public. There's no pressure for you to take it. If you're just pondering these things, that's just fantastic. And you can sit and you can reflect and think, but if this is the path that you want to take, you say, Jesus, I want to follow you, I want to know you, my life has already been yours, and I want it to be that way. Then in your own time, there'll be a Melody and I at the front, and uh, Chris, is this another elder or someone that can go back there? He looks like just, uh, hey, Bill, you want to do communion this morning, my friend? No? Okay. Nancy, would you, could you serve communion? Okay, Nancy's going to be back there as well. Melody and I will be here. Uh, so, Jesus, we simply come to receive your generous gifts. That Melchizedek character brought bread and wine to Abram, and you fulfill all of those things perfectly, and just as on that day when you invited your friends to the Passover supper, and you took bread and you took wine, and you broke the bread with your hands, with your hands calloused from hard life, and you spoke in the beautiful Aramaic language, these words of blessing. You give thanksgiving to God, you broke the bread, and you said, take it, all of you, this is my body for you. And then you took the cup, 
probably trembling, thinking about what this was going to mean in reality, that you would take upon yourself the sins of the world, bringing forgiveness to the men and women in the room with you that day, and to us so many years later. Your salvation never runs out. It is an unending well of love. So when we come, we pray that you would meet us in our hearts and minds. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we take this bread, we recognize that Christ came in the flesh, and in the flesh he atoned for all of our sin. He is making us a new people, brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. We recognize in this bread, this is uh, one loaf from one loaf, one body, one people, one spirit, and one Lord of all. Let's take the bread. And we recognize in taking this cup that Christ's death and his resurrection is sufficient to take care of all of our sin, our distance from God, our distance from one another. Lord, you have reconciled us through the covenant for the forgiveness of sin. We take this cup with thanksgiving. Let's sing together a song of worship, elevating Jesus as King of Kings, our Savior.